You're listening to episode 94 of Outnumber the Podcast. Today's episode is called Civil Disagreements, Teaching Children How to Disagree with Kindness. During this election year, we felt like this topic was more than timely as we see all sorts of mud being flung all over the internet. We really felt like it would be helpful to talk to you parents about how to disagree and do so without hatred. Hello and welcome to Outnumber the Podcast. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Audrey. We're experienced moms to a combined total of 18 children. Our mission is to help overwhelmed parents find peace in parenting and humor in the chaos. Come join us as we attempt uninterrupted conversation about parenting with joy and intention. everyone to another episode of Outnumbered the Podcast. Today we have an interesting topic. We are talking about civil disagreements and how to teach our children to disagree with each other, with the world at large, uh, civilly. Um, We thought this was kind of a timely episode because the world is anything but civil right now, especially in our country, right before elections. Everybody's just mean and nasty. Um, Social media, blogs, news outlets, everywhere you look, people are, are throwing mud, right? Um, And so today we are going to talk about how to be examples of this and teach it to our children. All right. We are going to first start by sharing um, a little bit of information for you guys. So first of all, we wanted to remind you that we are still taking um, your input on joy, finding joy in, in motherhood, in parenthood. Send us an email at outnumberedthepodcast at gmail.com. And this is prep for our hundredth episode because we want to share so many ways to find joy in motherhood and have that be a really fun episode. The other thing we want to tell you guys is we've started calling our Patreon chats every month. We've started calling those a coffee date because even though neither Bonnie or I uh, drink coffee, it's like the cost of buying us a coffee once a month. And, um, and we really appreciate the support of our Patreon followers because they help keep the podcast running. So if you want to join us, go to patreon.com slash outnumbered and find us and support us there. That's right. And the cool thing about being part of our Patreon clan is that you are the first people to um, get be able to offer suggestions on things you'd like to hear on the podcast or things you would just like to talk, us to talk about on the exclusive Patreon episode. So that's kind of fun to be part of the in crowd. Yeah. And this month, we always talk about just really fun random relax is a real relaxed episode this month in October we were talking about things we like to drink at our coffee date so that was really fun that's right that's right okay so first off back to this episode we are not here to talk about how to peacefully debate politics because that we don't need any of that right now (laughs) but what we do want to discuss is how to create an atmosphere of love and acceptance in your home and how to teach kids to disagree respectfully because unfortunately as much as we would want them to think mom and dad are always right, um, you know, and just always agree with us, they're not going to, or agree with each other or agree with the world at large. So we need to teach them to do this uh, with kindness and respect. Yeah. And the other thing we want to do is teach our kids how to stand up for what they believe without being jerks to other people. Like I like putting it in that, that language, you know, civil disagreements, it seems to be a lost art. And part of the problem is social media. Um, I'm going to link in the show notes to a really, really fascinating um, conversation about what social media was intended 
for the intention of social media. And once you watch that, you realize that social media is working exactly the way that they intended it to do. So we'll link that one in the show notes. But the social media and news outlets, they want to be sensational. Drama sells papers. Um, Negativity sells in papers. People are attracted more to that. And so many of the um, ideas that we teach our kids to value, they're disrespected as a general rule. They're... um, it's kind of interesting non-tolerance for other views, right? <laughs> when they don't agree with yours is pretty prevalent in today's society. And so, um, yeah, we just like there's freedom of speech and civil disagreements and um, debates for the fun of it. All that has just seemed to gone by the wayside. Right, right. And I really feel like our like humanity in general loses something when we can't agree to disagree. You know, uh, so so we're going to break this topic into three areas. And the first one I think is really kind of the most important, important, and that is the need for disagreements. So it really is crucial that we don't always see eye to eye. Uh, the second part is teaching our children by example how to kindly disagree with others. And then third is exposing kids to positive opportunities for healthy debates. They don't always have these opportunities, so it's up to us to help them find them. Right. We have... Um... Yeah, we have a list for you of places to find positive, healthy debates. Okay, so many of us, it's kind of worked into the human nature that we want to be in agreement. We want others to agree with us. Agreeing to disagree or having a disagreement with someone isn't isn't like a comfortable place to be. And so we just want, you know, to be in agreement with other people. But there would be a lot less spice and the world would be quite boring if we all just agreed on the same thing. Exactly. And we would never come up with unique ideas, right? Because everyone would kind of think, well, it's just, it's all fine the way it is, right? Um, So, you know, as, as Christians, Audrey and I believe in a certain set of absolute values, right? Right and wrong. But I really feel like the application of those values is, is varied, right? There are some things that aren't black and white, Um, public policy, um, how to run an HOA, how to teach medicine, how to teach history. There's, there's lots of different ways to do all these things that we do day in, day out. Um, and there, and, and when we open our minds to how other people are doing things, even if we don't think that they're the best way, we can really learn so much and expand our, our own horizons. Yes. We have to keep in mind that there are, another thing to keep in mind is that there are agreeable and disagreeable personalities. And, um, Bonnie and I were having a discussion about this the other day and it was actually a political discussion, but Bonnie and I can have political discussions because we... (laughs) have pretty much the same views, but, um, and we're not getting into politics here, but some people, um, like I don't feel comfortable discussing politics or whatever with them because I have a very agreeable personality and I would just rather agree with somebody than disagree. Mm -hmm. And like, I might even just agree with you just to make the argument go away. And then there's other people who have disagreeable personalities and they would disagree with you just to keep the conversation going. And so Mm -hmm. I think that is something to take into consideration in any, um, any discussion. So like thinking about it from the need for disagreements, if we, make a rule or a law that we all have to agree all the time, then people who honestly have disagreeable personalities, and I don't mean that in a negative way, because these are like innovators and inventors. They're not satisfied with the way the world is. They want to change it and make it different and make it better. But those people would be unfulfilled if, if everybody had to be in agreement of everything all the time. Right. And I'm glad you brought this up because I feel like both personalities have strengths and weaknesses. And I will just, I would just share that I think the the weaknesses of some of these 
personalities are, well, like the, the weakness of an agreeable personality is like you're saying, you'd rather just agree just to shut things down because it makes you kind of uncomfortable, right? Like I have learned, I'm the same way. And I have learned that sometimes I just have to kind of sit in the discomfort and go, huh, they believe, or they believe differently. They, they think about that in a different way. Hmm. That's it. I mean, it doesn't threaten me. So why is it, you know, like I have to kind of work through those feelings because they're harder for me. Whereas the disagreeable personalities might need to just say, it's okay. You know, agree to disagree. You don't have to keep disagreeing, right? So just to be kind of be aware of what your personality is and to kind of to focus on, on, on your strengths and, um, and work on your weaknesses, you know? Um, I will say that as long as human beings have existed um, and as long as we will exist, we've had unique viewpoints and opinions and we bring these to, to discussions and to the world and whenever we interact with other people. And I think that's wonderful. Um, there have been many times where I've talked to somebody and thought that I could never see things from their perspective. And then I have, and I've thought, wow, that was a really eye-opening experience. I'm so glad that I talked to that person. Now we don't mean that you have to like, all right. So those are some reasons that we came up with for why there needs to be disagreements and moving into part two, teaching by example. So, um, Teaching kids how to degree, how to disagree in a civil way, that starts with us. Ooh, ouch, painful, sorry. <laughs> but the interpersonal conflicts within the family, those will be the first and most influential disagreements that children witness and experience and kind of shapes their attitudes and thoughts toward um, agreement or disagreement with other people. Yes, and we've talked about this before, how harmful it can be to never see people disagree or never see people resolve their disagreements, right? Because then they, they don't learn healthy ways of debate um, and, of, and of apologizing if debate gets too heated, right? Um, I think it's important that we allow our children to disagree with each other. But we can also have um, some rules around this. If they begin arguing rudely or raising their voice or whatever your rules are surrounding this, you can, you can separate them, you can encourage them to calm down um, or express themselves in a nicer way, and then encourage them to see things from the other person's perspective. Um, and, and again, heated arguments usually just mean that the person feels very passionately about their viewpoint, which is not a bad thing. We just have to teach them how to do that in a healthy manner, how to express it in a healthy manner. I often uh, model this by asking, how would you feel if you were in their shoes? If you had their same experiences and if you believe this way, how would you feel? You know, and, and I'm th like, let's talk just something super basic, like a, a child's toy is taken away from them, right? Just to try to see things from the other kid's perspective and um, stay calm enough that you can come, come up with a solution, some sort of resolution. Um, I think it's also very important for our children to see us disagree with our spouses but even more importantly, for them to see us resolve those disagreements. Um, well, like I mentioned, never seeing either side of those or one or the other side, I think is very unhealthy. All right. So one thing that we do to um, teach our kids how to handle disagreements and to defend their own beliefs, what they believe, is we teach formal logic as a part of our homeschool program. So our kids, um, I know I mentioned this before, our kids go through three different four-year cycles of um, their learning. So first through fourth, fifth through eighth, and then the high school, nine through 12. And then the second of those, the um, fifth through eighth, we call that the logic stage. And so along with everything else, they're studying math, history, science, all that. They study formal logic. And I'm going to share the actual resources that we use so that if you're interested in helping your kids learn logic too, you can um, use some of these if you're interested. So we use um, a book called The Fallacy Detective. 
and it uh, goes through what is a fallacy, and it um, talks about a lot of different things to recognize, like, for example, a straw man, um, an appeal to the authority, appeal to people, a faulty, a genetic fallacy, special pleading, what's a red herring, what is generalization, what is an analogy, what is propaganda, what is an appeal to pity, exigency, (laughs) and repetition, and transfer, and all these different parts of an argument, how to recognize them, how to use them, or how to avoid using them. So that's a really cool book, The Fallacy Detective. Another book we use in the first year, I'm just going to share the books we use in our first year logic study. And if you guys are interested, send us an email, outnumberthepodcast at gmail.com, and I can share what we do for all four years of logic. Uh, The Art of the Argument is another book that we use, and this goes through um, three main different fallacies of relevance. So um, ad fontem arguments, arguments against the source is what that means, and then the all the different appeals to emotion and then um, lots of different red herrings that that one goes through and the third book we use is red herring mysteries and that's a really fun one it just gives them a scenario and they have to think outside of the box to solve this little red herring mystery and then the fourth um, one that we use is a building thinking skills book uh, critical by critical thinking books and it um, it goes through and has them actually do exercises that kind of it kind of, it does little analogies like, you know, if you have these two shapes, then what is the third shape that comes in a row? Or um, draw the figure, it'll have a little tumbling block and it'll say, now in your mind, turn this block to the left and draw it. So it's it's actually working with developing some of these parts of the brain that use logic. So we, um, going through this, this first year, just as for example, this first year of our formal logic studies, it trains like their brains are naturally starting to, um, become logical in, in this age. And so using these books kind of really helps hone that logic and, and they get kind of dangerous. They're like, Oh mom, no, that's an ad hominem attack. You can't really say that in this situation. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we used that same first book that you talked about um, with my oldest because he would shoot him back at me all the time. It's like, you're just you're just generalizing right now. I'm like, well, you, still, you, you still have to clean your room. <laughs> and I, we seriously had to get to that point where I was like, your use of logic is correct. And I am still in charge. <laughs> but I think it's fascinating to teach kids logic because it is seriously missing from academia right now. And there are so many kids that just, they either, I don't know, they just have no sense of, of arguing. Uh, I don't know if there's if correctly is the right word, but logically, you know, um, and it just teaches so many wonderful skills. I really wish I had done that, that course of study when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of gets fun. And one of the four years of logic we do um, on, on Fridays, their, their logic assignment is to find a news article and, highlight all the um all the things in it that are not using logic but are using one of these other you know appeals to emotion or all all these other things it's really quite fun to see it put into everyday use yeah totally all right besides um teaching them formal logic we kind of we start teaching them how to leave emotions out of it so don't personally attach your emotions 
to an argument. And of course, they're getting this through the, you know, the fallacy detective and other books that show them what actual emotional appeals are, where you're using the emotion part of your brain instead of the logic part of your brain. But just don't, you know, so you believe or don't believe in a certain thing, use logic to defend it. Don't use your emotions to defend it. And I think that's like, especially in an election cycle year, people get so emotional and they just walk around Mm -hmm. mad, you know, because of something somebody put on Facebook. Well, just, just take your emotions out of it and you can handle it a lot better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So our, it's interesting. Um, our college age kids, like our kids have some of their first experiences using their logic that they've learned with other people. It's, it's very interesting. Um, our kids having been taught formal logic for them in their college experiences and to, um, see how other kids, uh, interact and debate and conversations who haven't had the, um, study of formal logic and, uh, just, just kind of some of the things they would come home and say would be very eye-opening, like not a, you know, not like they felt like they were at such an advantage having formal logic skills that it wasn't even fair to kind of, you know, discuss things with some of their peers because their, their peers didn't have these same tools that they had. Yeah. And, and what an awesome thing that they, they have these tools to go into the real world and, um, and express themselves so much better than, than a lot of other kids. It's awesome. Yeah. The, you know, one final thing that, um, is part of this leave emotions out of it tip that I have for you is, Oh, goodness. I have a daughter that worked in customer service at a bank, at a call center. So who calls the bank when they're happy, right? <laughs> Nobody. They're, you're mad. If you call the bank, you're mad, right? Unless <laughs> they're calling to find the hours or something. Mm-hmm. But as, as a customer service representative at the bank, she was not allowed to respond in anything other than kind pleasant customer service terminology and terms. And so she would come home, you know, having been called like a blue streak and just politely respond, well, okay, I'm sorry you feel that way, sir, but um, we're going to go ahead and, you know, whatever. And just, just like she is, I, I, I hated to see her go through it, but now like it's really hard to tap into like to make her mad if you're having a discussion because she's so, she can be so unemotional because that part of it has just been completely, I don't know if you want to say trained out of her, but it's just interesting to see how many people are using not logic and just emotions in their going through life. Yeah. Yeah. Grown men and women. Right. I, yeah, I would say every child needs like a, an adult needs um, a start in some sort of customer service some sort of like food service, something where people get really angry <laughs> because it's just such such a good such good practice at controlling your emotions and just getting down to business. My first three jobs as a kid were in fast food, in um, a hair salon, and oh shoot, what was the other thing? Oh, and in a bank, or, or um, it was uh, a call center for financial aid in my college. And so all those things. Were, you know, people come in very angry. You messed up my food order. You messed up my hair appointment. You messed up my financial aid. And so I had a lot of experience of fielding anger and just realizing this has nothing to do with me. I just go in and I do my job and I don't need to react, you know, in anger. Yeah. So it was very good tools for sure. Yeah, that was totally it for my daughter. She's like, you know, I just happened to get this, the next call on the line. This person doesn't know me personally. So these names they're calling me, it could be the lady at the next next desk over that they were calling these names. It really personally has nothing to do with me. 
Right, right. Yeah, great, great skills to develop. Okay, and then finally, number three, we're going to talk about allowing our children a chance to experience healthy debate. I think, you know, what we just talked about could be considered that. You throw them in the lion's den with a bunch of people yelling at them. Um, uh, that's not really healthy debate, but at least they <laughs> learn how to control their emotions, right? Um, and I think that this is all but but absent in our schools and colleges right now. Um, and so, I, you know, we highly recommend, like, we, like uh, Audrey mentioned, um, teaching your children formal lip logic, finding a debate club or even starting one can be super, super helpful where kids are debating in a very safe environment, but they can debate um, hot button topics and learn uh, usually from a mentor or a teacher healthy ways of and uh, logical ways of doing that. Yeah, it's getting more rare to be able to find an opportunity to enter into a healthy civil debate. So that, you know, the purpose of a debate club would be that, um, assuming everyone was trained in formal logic and didn't just resort to straw man fallacies or emotional appeals, right? <laughs> uh, so our, I mentioned um, that rhetoric is the last four-year cycle that they go through. And so during this time in our homeschool, we teach and practice rhetoric skills as part of their homeschool training. So in addition to all their other studies that they do, they also study formal rhetoric. And again, I'm just going to share the resources that they use in the first year. Uh, in the first year, they use two books. One is the New Oxford Guide to Writing. And that's not like, you know, this is a verb, this is an adjective, that sort of thing. But this is like how to write eloquent, eloquent arguments and that kind of thing. And then the other one is a rule book for arguments. And they go through and outline and do the exercises and write the essays and the, the arguments and the responses for all those kind of things. Um, so those are the two that we use to help them learn and practice their rhetoric skills. Okay, that sounds awesome. I'm going to have to use those too. <laughs> okay, um, I wanted to share that it's important for us to create a chance for our kids to debate important topics with within their family as well, with us and siblings. So this is one reason that sitting down for a family dinner can be so important because it's a chance for um, healthy debate within a safe space, right? We've talked about this, how fun it is with our older kids to sit around the table and, and talk about um, current affairs or anything else that's on their mind. Um, and I personally kind of like to play devil's advocate. You know, sometimes, you know, within a family, we tend to all have the same viewpoints about things. Um, and so I'll say, well, what about this? You know, and just kind of pretend like I, I uh, believe something totally opposite. And it's fun to see my kids react. Sometimes they get angry. And uh, so we have to work through like, okay, well, it's not an emotional thing. Let's just talk about why you, why you believe that way. And, and, and tell me your, tell me your viewpoint. Let's figure it out. And then this can be a great time to educate your kids on um, other things that are happening in the world that they might not know about. Like I personally don't, allow my children to sit around and watch the news because there's a lot of garbage on there. But I do like to share what's going on. You know, the elections, the um, some new public policy that's coming up for for uh, debate or, or vote. Um, really just anything. Uh, a news story I saw that was particularly interesting and get their thoughts on it and their feedback and see what they think and, and if they can e maybe even understand why certain people are voting um, on the other side. So anyway, lots of, lots of opportunities around the dinner table to to get kids talking. Yes, that sounds really fun. Fun discussions. I like to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we also try to, um, besides studying formal re rhetoric, we introduce our kids. We try to introduce our kids to the idea of emotional adulthood. And I'm stealing that phrase from the Life Coach School podcast, episode 25, about emotional adulthood. I 
urge you all to go listen to that. It's a very, very empowering, um, empowering episode. So um, just real, real briefly, emotional childhood is where you blame your emotions and your actions that you take because of those emotions on someone else or something else. Emotional adulthood is taking responsible, taking responsibility for each and every one of your emotions and actions because of your because of those emotions. And so the beauty, the power, the empowerment comes when you take responsibility for your own emotions, feelings, and no one else at that point, no one else has power over your emotions. So you take back the power for your own life. You're not helpless or at the, at the mercy of, you know, X, Y, Z person, event, government, you name it, but you are an adult in emotional in, in your emotions now. And, and it's a very empowering thing. So please, everybody go listen to that episode. But we try to, like, I even was having a discussion with my nine-year-old the other day. So we don't wait till they're, you know, like high school age to discuss this. But I really was having a discussion the other day with my nine-year-old about this, that um, taking responsibility for his own, for the way he was feeling and that he couldn't blame that on someone else just because someone else had behaved a certain way, but he was making a choice to feel something in response. Um, and so, yeah, I, like I, I probably butchered the explanation here, but it just meant like, <laughs> I just encourage everybody to listen to it because entering into emotional adulthood is such an empowered place to be. Yes. And it can really help you and your children in so many aspects of life. I mean, really every argument that goes on in our house can be improved if someone would just step up and be the um, the adult emotionally. And I, I have noticed my older kids take my lead um, with dealing with the younger kids when I can be a good example of this. Um, I'm not saying I always am, but you know, when the, the three-year-old has a gigantic tantrum and starts calling names and throwing things, a younger me would get upset and put her in her bed and yell back. Um, and now I'm more mature and, and more of an emotional adult than I was at 25, I guess. And I can say, oh, we don't hit like that. Let's go, you know, quietly to your room for a little bit until you can be kind. Are you kind now? You know, and, and you maintain this, this, uh, aura of, of calm and, um, support for the child who's seriously struggling. And I've noticed my older kids pick up on that and do the same thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes, maybe they're going to go into parenthood a little bit more prepared than I was or more of an emotional adult. Um, my final thought here is that um, sometimes as kids get older and you're you know talking about current events and things, that it becomes necessary to explain to them how you came to your thought process. So I really do want my kids to think through um, these complex topics and come up with their own um, thoughts about things. Um, and so that's why I play the devil's advocate sometimes like, well, what about this? What about this to get them thinking? Right. Um, and so very often they don't have, well, because my kids don't have as much experience, life experience as I do, I will share with them why I've come to specific conclusions. Well, I've seen this and I've seen this and I've noticed this so that they can hopefully get in the same habit of using their experiences to come to a conclusion, if that makes sense. Yeah, so now we promised you guys um, a list of some areas that you can find and have your kids learn from examples of civil disagreement. So I think our current, without getting into politics, I think our 
current um, situation has devolved into, our current atmosphere has devolved into pretty emotional childhood, non-logical emotional arguments. So I would say if you go back in history, you're going to find a lot more examples of civil disagreement than you can today. Like you can't really find them in the news today. But what do you mean? Uh, but I came up with some just some examples so if you go back like even okay what this was um what is it 30 years ago now 20 years ago the Clinton impeachment hearings um I remember no so if you go back and like find some recordings or some video from that time like those were very civil even though they were um discussing a very divisive topic. They, those were very civil disagreements that they were having. Um, historical presidential debates, like think of Abe, Abe Lincoln and some of his debates. If you can find transcripts from any of that, those are really cool to read through. Um, courtroom trials are another place where you can find um, pretty civil disagreements. I mean, you can find a lot of examples of bad fallas, bad logic and bad rhetoric in these all these areas too, but you can you can find some pretty good examples. And then like Supreme Court justice hearings, that's another place where you can go back and um, look at and, and listen, maybe find some videos. So these are some some places. Um, and then Bonnie also mentioned like a speech and debate club. That's another place um, where you can find examples of past more civil disagreements. Yeah, I'm glad that you shared all those because this would also be a great place for kids to practice picking out specific um, types of logic, right? They could look at him and go, oh, he's actually, he's making an appeal to emotions right there. Oh, he's doing this, he's doing that. Um, probably way more so than they would in their everyday average life with their 14-year-old friends, right? <laughs> so hopefully this episode uh, made sense to you guys. We just thought it was timely to bring up the idea of teaching our children how to um, have healthy debate and uh, learn things from those who believe differently than them. The, uh, we will share some resources, uh, the social media documentary that Audrey mentioned, um, the Life Coach School episode about emotional adulthood, and then Audrey will also add all of the um, uh, logic and rhetoric books that she mentioned in case you're curious about uh, that course of study for kids. Thanks so much for tuning in. Did you know you can help the podcast in several ways? First up, we're on Patreon, and there are three different levels to support us there. Just head to patreon.com slash outnumbered. Next up, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a written review on iTunes. It helps other parents find the podcast and receive the help you're enjoying. And finally, you can follow us on Instagram at outnumberedthepodcast. We're always having fun over there, too. As usual, if you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, you can reach us at outnumberedthepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for all your support. We'll talk to you next week.